Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of CEO Thought Leadership. I am Jennifer Klug, your host today, and we have a very special guest. Rebecca Bray is the president of Epitech, and Rebecca has been instrumental in shaping the company's culture uh, and driving its growth. Uh, Rebecca's background is in sales, which I can't wait to dive deep on. Uh, and she's responsible for strategic direction, culture, and driving growth at Epitech. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I really appreciate you inviting me to hopefully share some nuggets of wisdom with your audience. Oh, great. So for those that don't know who Epitech is, um, I know you're an industry leader in IT, engineering, and professional staffing uh, with Fortune 100 clients. Tell us more about Epitech, like a 30-second overview. 30-second overview. Um, being in sales, that's a hard question. That's like a hard answer. <laughs> I'd like to talk for hours about who we are. Um, but Epitech is a leading staffing provider across the United States. We've been in business for 45 years this year. And we have continued to remain a private, diverse-owned business. We really specialize in connecting people and talent to our mid-sized, large-sized customers across the United States. And what makes us really unique, and I think this has made us unique for many years, is that no matter where our size is, and currently where our size is today, we operate with standards, procedures, quality, that of a billion-dollar company, but we still have that agile connection to people business. So while our teams are very structured in how they work, we really personalize our service to both our candidates, our employees, and our customers. That's very hard to do, to have the process, the protocol of a, a global empire and still be flexible, nimble, and, and agile. Uh, and, and drive culture in that way. Um, so, Rebecca, your your background is in sales. Uh, you are president of the company. Uh, you have an advantage over other leaders because you have the eyes of the client. You, you understand their needs. Um, tell us a little bit about what your secret sauce is there compared to other leaders that don't have a growth um, background. That's an interesting question, <laughs> and I will get to the answer around the specific sales piece and customers, but really when I think about, and we'll probably talk about this also later on, but when I think about my journey to leading Appetech, it isn't any one piece I think that really sets me apart. What really has set me apart is the fact that I've done a little bit of effort. You know, I really started in a support role for the company. I've been recruiting. I've been in sales. I've led our employee engagement efforts. I've done training and development. I've worked directly with managing customer projects. Um, I have a solid understanding um, and a little bit of academic background with our financials, which is really also very important. Um, so like having all those come together but then with that core sales piece, which is really where my passion has been for many years, um, it does give me an advantage to understand our customers' needs, understand their challenges, 
I've built solutions um, to help them solve those challenges. I've consulted with them and I can take best practices we've seen throughout the industry and apply them to our own teams. And I do think having the understanding that, you know, you can be that best financial wizard, but without our customers and the revenue into the company, like that's the launch pad. There's, there's nothing to support. And I think sometimes when you don't have that understanding as a leader, when times get tough, it's hard to pick a direction to go in. And when you understand, for me, when I understand the market, our current economic conditions, and specifically the impact on our customers, and then how that impacts our day-to-day, that really allows me to pick the best direction to point the team in and let them row that bow, um, you know, to yeah. the best to the best end. Yeah. And I think that's what makes us great is we all come to the table with different experiences and there's no um, better glasses than the vision of a client and a client's needs. So I'm, I'm sure that has helped you immensely in your career. Um, so let's talk about sales for a minute. And let's just uh, chat about this. Favorite what are, topic. Yeah, what are, what are <laughs> my five favorite topics? <laughs> Why not? Um, so we're hearing uh, from lots of um, individuals how hard it is to get people's attention. Our phones are sending us notification. Our computers are sending us five conversations in one moment. Uh, there's ringing over here. It's very hard to get someone's attention, especially in this hybrid world. Um, do you have any tips? And you're all trying to find candidates and all this yeah. buzzing is going on. And there's this social media and that social media and whatnot. Yeah. What are some best practices about really grabbing people's attention? I, I chuckle because I, I really, I think about this on the daily and I, we joke in the office because as much as things have changed and there's been technical progress, you know, at the heart of it, uh, relationships matter, solving problems, bringing value. And I think we're so used to just moving quick and not hearing, and this is something that I was taught as a young salesperson, understand your client's needs. And I think so many times, so many people, we don't really take the time to understand what the needs are. Um, and we try to just, this is what I can do for you. And I don't even know if it's what you need. And I think people are, they are, they're busy, they're distracted, they're uninterested um, and so if you come out right away without something that's neat, that you think you're going to fill a need and they don't, it's not, you like are off the radar right away. So I think, you know, we need to all slow down a little bit, um, and get back to working on relationships and understanding where the, where the challenges are, where are the problems that need to be solved? Because I think it doesn't matter if you're trying to sell talent solutions, if you're trying to match a person to a job, if you're selling software, if you're selling TV, if you're not fitting the need, it doesn't really matter. So how do we get back to understanding what people's problems are? And that's a very good reminder, especially to the generation that hasn't really used a phone yeah. um, or has 
had to uh, need to develop a long-term relationship in a business environment, it's slow. It's methodical. It's slow. It's caring. It's empathy. It's all the things you don't necessarily learn um, in, in business school or what have you. So that's a wonderful reminder. And by the way, uh, anyone listening right now, I think the phone is coming back as a weapon because how many voicemails do you get now versus what you had uh, 10 or 12 years ago? It's, it's really amazing. Um, so let's talk a, a little bit more about um, your leadership. Uh, everyone has pivotal moments. They could be positive, they could be negative uh, or constructive. Uh, these milestones and experiences shape who we are. They shape our leadership. They shape uh, how we come to work each day. As you look back, you've been with Epitech for 25 years. Um, as you look back on your career, what were some of those pivotal moments and, and what did you learn from them? Uh, I think there's many moments in time I have been humbled to learn I don't know everything and um, to accept help, you know, when I need it or sometimes when I don't even realize I need it. But early on uh, when I had uh, been with Epitech a, a few few years, just a couple of years, I was part of our sales team. I was one of our um, top producing salespeople. We were, we were really going through some challenges growing as a company and our revenue had actually started to come down. And so our leadership at the time, which I was not part of the leadership team, um, had decided to bring in some consultants and being in my early career, I thought they don't know what we do. They've, they've been around a while, um, but they were going to help us. They were going to help us reset on our, you know, our mission. They were going to reset on our sales process. Um, and while I was hitting my goals and exceeding them as a company and as a team, we were not. Um, so that's a problem, you know, not a problem I saw outright because I was doing what I needed to do. Um, and then they also, but you know, what they really worked with us on was mapping our process. And that was a pivotal time once for our um, change and growth, being able to really springboard and set some better standards and process and quality in place for us. And it also taught me that I don't know everything. And today as a company, we are solidly rooted. We still, to this day, we map our processes, we keep our maps updated. We work on our systems based on our processes. So that was something that when uh, those, those consultants were brought in, I was not bought in. And I, I did later see the value in that. And, and it was a game changer. It was a game changer for me and it was a game changer for us. And historically, businesses can only get so big. So they grow and then they plateau. And in order to go to the next level, you need those processes um, in order to make a big leap forward. And, and wonderful that you're, you're staying with it because they're, they're, they're living organisms, the processes, yes. right? And there's all these ripple out factors. So that is very wise words on how to grow um, to, to even more than, than um, where you're at. Um, so let's, let's talk about talent management. You're in charge of the culture there. Um, you're in charge of recruiting, hiring, and developing 
talent. So let's not talk as you as the recruiter and the recruiting company. Yeah. Let's talk about you as the leader. Um, could you elaborate on your talent strategy? Yeah. I, um, when I think about our team and my role in our culture and developing our team, I really think, you know, um, I do yoga for those that do yoga out there. You know, the yoga instructor will say, you know, they're, they're a guy, right? They're not there really to tell you all the pieces. They're really there just to help facilitate and guide. And I believe that for myself as a leader, that I am here, you know, to help set the direction to guide, but to pave the way for our, all of our individuals on our team to really help shape, mold, develop, and carry on culture. So for us, culture is not something that is anybody's responsibility. It is everybody's responsibility. And so even when we look at um, our hiring practices, we involve several people to help that interview process. And that's a two-way street. One, it's not just allowing, you know, different um, team members to contribute to that interview process, but it allows for individuals that are wanting to come work with Epitaph to see and feel our culture, not just from me, right? Because I can, I'm a great salesperson. I can sell you on why you should work here, but that doesn't mean that person might be working with me on a day-to-day basis. So they really need to speak with the person that they're going to be next to, because if they don't like that, they can love me, but if they don't like that person, it might be a mismatch. So it's for everybody to contribute in different you know, shapes and forms, um, how we show up to work in our culture is important. You know, are we ready? Are we prepared? You know, we talk about people having muscle and it's for us. That muscle is, you know, are you motivated to come and be part of our mission and to make an impact on people's lives and help them find that next career opportunity? You know, do we have a sense of urgency? Are we sensitive to what people's needs are? So we have these things that we want that are collective values for us. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, could you give us a feel for your culture there? Maybe some um, best practices or company rituals. What 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 cool things are over there that if I was an employee, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Um. Well, we've always said we uh, we work hard and we play hard. But we really, um, we really enjoy being together and connecting with each other, which over the past several years, things have changed. Um, but I would tell you, as our team grew nationally, um, prior to COVID, our team had grown nationally and we had made the switch to working in a hybrid environment and we're kind of a, it, it's not all all the way one way or the other, right? A little bit of everything um, goes a long way. And we made that switch to working hybrid, even for our individuals that were by offices, because of, um, in, I would say, inclusion and equity before it was like a key word. But really, we wanted to learn to work together and have an environment that whether you're working in person or virtual, 
that we have these tools and mechanisms that everybody feels part of the team. Because prior to that, we did have a situation where people that worked out of our headquarters felt a, was were feeling one way because they were in the office five days a week with each other. And then we have other individuals supporting our clients feeling like they're kind of off on their own before all the wonderful technology was really maximized. You know, we're, we're in a conference room having breakfast, eating together, and we've got the one weird camera angle for the presentation, the virtual people couldn't hear. You know, and so we had to really learn to to say how, you know, even though we're remote, we want to feel connected. We want to work together. We are part of a team. And so how do we do that? And I think the the individuals that come work for us and with us, they're individuals that want to work in a team environment and want to help be part of the greater good. Yeah, we just released a guide uh, to executive leaders uh, related to talent and what should be focused on. And one of the things that uh, we found based off of the data and the surveys is collaboration needs to be defined and it needs to be defined uniquely for each company. And that's what you just described as you, you were figuring out the details of what collaboration looks like now. And it's so amazing. We have, it's, it's the pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, right? And there's an entire generation coming that won't know what the pre-pandemic really was. Uh, so whatever we're designing now will set the stage for future generations. So it sounds like you're figuring it out. Congratulations. Hey, every day, but every day is a challenge. So the staffing industry is pretty unique in being a, a leading indicator for how uh, industry is doing, how um, the economy is doing, what the future looks like. Tailwind is all over the place lately. Um, what are you seeing out there is, is your crystal ball for 2024? What are your predictions on, on what's going to happen? Yeah. Huh. It's a big question. It's a big question. You know, we're really hearing from our, our customers that, you know, people are just really kind of holding tight um, when it comes to staffing levels investing in growing teams. You know, we have, I'll call it an anomaly, but we really had some um, un untypical behavior, right? Coming out of COVID where it was like, you know, COVID shut everything down and then coming out of it, it was like gang, you know, like everybody's yes. off the charts. And so now things have kind of been on the settling end. And I think with so much uncertainty, um, because of media, I hate to say it, but like, yeah, don't know what's what's real, what's not. And I think, you know, folks with everything that's going on uh, politically and economically, a lot of the big companies, I think they're not they're not going to go out on a limb and try to just staff up one way or another. I think, you know, we're, we're all trying to run the business. We're all trying to run the business as efficiently as possible and we are seeing from our customers, though, that they are bringing a hybrid workforce back. Yes. We're, we're seeing a little bit of the full-time on-site, but what we're really seeing when I look at, you know, a thousand open positions that we have across the United States, probably 70% are hybrid. Yeah. Oh, we still have a few remote. We still have a few on-site, but that, but that hybrid model and having people 
um, in a location close enough that they can come in on some type of cadence. So not anymore having people just be wherever. It's a little bit more structured yes. on what days are in office versus out of office if, if your industry is fortunate to, to make that choice. Um, and do you see candidates saying, okay, I'll do the hybrid, that, but they'd rather be 100% remote? Or are you seeing them itching to get back into an environment? What, what are you seeing there? You know, it's interesting. We're actually seeing more and more early career people wanting to go into an office in a hybrid. Yeah. You know, we've we've actually lost a few great, great team members that were in remote locations for us because they wanted to go and work in an office, not five days a week, but they want that availability and they want that connection. I think people are starting to kind of realize that there is something to that. Um, other individuals that may be a little later in their career journey and having um, personal obligations, like a little bit more flexibility, uh, you know, I don't, you know, while there's a lot of, I think, openness and empathy and sensitivity out there around work-life balance, I still don't promote people heading into an interview saying, I really want to work remote so I can put my laundry in, in between calls. Right. Well, well, let me ask you this. Let's stick with the theme of candidates. Um, from their perspective, we, we have a lot of CEOs that listen to this program. We have a lot of leaders that listen to this program. Um, from a candidate's perspective, what are the most common mistakes we are making as employers? What are you hearing from them? So um, some companies have tried video interviewing. Mm -hmm. That is not going over well with Canada, where, where they ask, they basically get on and it's recorded, and they're answering questions, but nobody's on the other end. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> so like if you're, you know, you want to again, you want to see the culture of a company. So that has not gone over well with um. Kiata. I can't blame them. Let's just stick with that for a second. <laughs> you want to bring someone onto your team, but they don't see you. You have this voiceover asking the questions. I don't even like it when I'm in a meeting and, and cameras aren't turned on. It's, it's, um, it's, it's very cool. Yeah. Yes. So we've seen that, um, you know, we, we are good or bad. And, and I think sometimes people don't like this, but the, does the bad apple spoil the bunch? But in our technical world, because of some of the, I'll say, fraud out there, you know, our customers are using more software to identify if somebody is actually answering the questions themselves. Um, because there's been there's been that out there, which for the, for the yeah for and for the candidate that is authentic in answering the questions, sometimes that feels really harsh. And it's like, well, it's not that we think you're, you know, maybe not going to answer the questions to the best of your ability, but there's been so many instances now. So I think how we're using technology sometimes is, again, kind of helps with the disconnect. 
connection or aids in the disconnection. Yeah. And I've even heard too that a recruiter will get a resume from four or five different people and it has the same description for the job. Uh, That really doesn't make you stand out as a candidate. Anything else that we're getting wrong as employers in the recruiting process? Like anything for candidates that really are interested, are we getting back to them at least to even say, sorry, at this time, it's not a match. You know, we still get a lot of folks giving feedback that, you know, uh, they don't like that they don't hear anything. They don't know what's going on in the in the process. We are also seeing, which from a candidate end can be frustrating at times, is a lot of um, third and fourth interviews now till a decision's made, which, um, you know, it, that can be a painful process for candidates sometimes. Yes. Especially if you're busy and juggling yeah. a lot to begin with, and we're all stretched thin, right? Yeah, if you're already working, you know, and you're taking time out to interview, and now you've got to do that three, four times. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, one of the things I really admire about you is you take the time to mentor. Uh, and you talked about mentoring as a chief part of your job as president there. Um, but you mentor young ladies in your free time. I do. Tell us more about that. Um, t- share some some experiences there, and then we'll we'll talk about what advice you're giving them. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I do a lot when it comes to uh, young females early in career, and sometimes in school um, with technology specifically. So I'm part of a couple of technology organizations. One is the Michigan Council of Women in Technology. And so from there, we want to give more support to young ladies pursuing careers within uh, IT. And a lot of times there still is not um, a heavy female population in their classes at college and or on in early career when they start their career, they don't have a, a good support network. So I, I do participate and try to do some mentorship. Um, so that there is an avenue of someone to talk to even in uh, when they're struggling in classes, how, how do you organize yourself? How do you set yourself up for success or to get the right help that you need? Because sometimes um, people just don't know where to go for help. Also, when you start a, a new opportunity or how do you evaluate what's going to be the best internship for me? What's going to be the best first job how do I I had one young lady this past summer her um she was applying for internships the internship she had with the company the summer before had basically said all right we'll love to have you back as an intern but she wanted to take an internship somewhere else for some different exposure so she asked how do I tell them like I don't want to burn this bridge so how do I say thank you but no thank you in a manner which will if I want to go back and work for them future. So that's some of the types of questions that um, I get asked. Yeah. Um, so one more one more um, discussion around this point. And, and I ask this a lot. If, if you had a 22-year-old uh, graduate sitting in front of you and they have all these aspirations for success in the business world, what advice would you give them? 
you know, <laughs> I think when I think about what has made personally, what has made me successful is, um, is my resilience. And I look back in it early on in my career, there were many times that I did not agree with my leadership. And for whatever reason, sometimes I'm like, I don't even know why, but for whatever reason, I zipped it <laughs> and, and had some trust and faith, right? So, and I don't mean if there was times where I thought something maybe, you know, was not ethical or anything like that. Right, right. But maybe I didn't agree with like, why would we do this? You know, I don't think this is the right direction for the business, whatever. But for whatever reason, I knew enough to say, you know what, mate? Maybe I'm going to at least let it see it through. Yeah. And, and sometimes I think we need to hang in there with the conversation and not shut down and not just be like, I don't agree. So I'm out. Um, what can I, I always, I always looked at like, what can I learn from this? Cause there's going to be something, even if it goes the way I think it does, there's going to be something I'm going to be able to take away and learn. And I think today we're really quick just as a society to give up on things. We're just like, we don't like it and we're done. And I feel like you can point on social media how horrible it is, right? Yeah. So, and so I feel like if I gave, there's so many points in my career where I feel like, man, had I done that, I would have missed out so much learning and development. And I will tell you, there were times early on in my career, I wanted to quit. Like I was ready. And I was like, for whatever reason, I was like, hang in there a little bit while longer. <laughs> so, so fortunate and so blessed and so glad that I did. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I will never forget this. When I was in grad school, uh, I had a professor give us all an assignment. And then he gave us uh, a, a similar assignment, but it was a group project. And he showed statistically how better the group project was. Ten minds coming together instead of one mind. Uh, and that was the most valuable lesson I got from school. And, you're, and then this is very similar, very similar um, to that lean in and trust the group around you, their perspective. Uh, is equally important to your perspective. There's 10 ways to do something yeah. right. 10 ways to do something right, and let's learn a new way to do it. Very good advice, Rebecca. So let's talk about you as a human. Uh, so often uh, leaders are viewed by the title. It can be intimidating. It can be scary. Um, and uh, little do they know that we're we're just like everyone else. Uh <laughs> We walk around in our in our slippers too, right? Yeah. Um, so so tell me more about you as a human. Um, how do you start your day? How do you start your day, and then how do you start your work day? Okay. I'm I'm an early bird. I'm like Ooh, what time? Crazy early bird. I always have that. Um, alarm goes off at four forty five. So Ooh. Ooh. I'm early. I go to bed early though. I'm like, I'm to bed early. Yeah. I turn into a pumpkin. Um, so I, I'm up early and I exercise first thing. So like that's, and that's been my routine uh, for many, many years. Uh, 
So I really, I do think that helps me kind of set, set the tone for the day. Um, it helps me, you know, kind of get into a space of like physically kind of letting out whatever's going on. So I'm ready to, ready to tackle the day. Um, and I do working on it. I try to do some meditation. I don't do as much as I would like. That's the piece that it's like, I know I benefit from. I just, that's the one that falls off. Like, all right, nope. (laughs) Oh, most busy executives struggle with that. That's, that's not unheard of. Um, do you have any quirky pet peeves? We, you know, I, uh, we were talking about that in the office. I was asking, I actually was asking people, see what other people would uh, say. Huh. I don't know if I necessarily have, uh, if I would, if they would be quirky, but I do think that sometimes what I guess is a little bit of a pet peeve is when people ask for uh, feedback and then, and then uh, don't take any of it <laughs> or take consideration. Oh, it must be her. I'm fine. Right. Hold <laughs> on. Yeah, I think that would that would irritate just about everybody. Uh, do you have any hidden talents or hobbies? I, I do not have any hidden talents. Um, I for sure cannot sing or juggle or ride a unicycle. Uh, but I so so no really hidden talents. I um I do love to read. So when I when I can read, I love to read. What, what is there a book you're reading right now, and would you recommend it? Um, well, the, the, my one recent favorite book was Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Kira. If you have not read it, as a leader, it's awesome. I had my whole leadership team read it. Um, so it's about a restaurant that became the best restaurant in the world and how they did that. And I think there's a lot of parallels, um, to, the leadership, the customer service. Uh, there's a lot of good takeaways there. I also, um, I like Simon Sinek. Like he has great yeah. stuff. Yeah. I think, I think as a business leader, one of my favorite books of his was the infinite is the infinite game. Right. Because when I look at our business and our continued growth and secession and how we're going to carry on that book really resonated that, you know, we're not, we're currently, we're not looking, even though we're privately held, like we're not looking to just grow the business to sell the business, right? So we're looking at how do we create this legacy and ongoing um, commitment to our community. And so with that, that book was really, I thought, insightful. One, one more question for you, and this is for you as a human and in your life. So set your career aside for a second. What decision have you made that was an absolute game changer for you in your life. Having kids. Having, I had it, uh, I did not always know I wanted kids. And so at the point in which um, I met my husband and we got married and decided that, uh, hey, if it happens, that would be great. <laughs> and I was okay if it wasn't going to and ended up, I have a 10 year old daughter and a six year old son. And they have made me a better human being. They have made me a better leader, um, just a better person in in so many ways. And they have tested my patience to the limits I never thought was possible. 
It's actually a fun time when, when the kids, I have two children myself, they're now young adults, but when they're, when they, your youngest turns four from four to 12, there's so much fun there. So much fun. They are, they are, but my, you know, like I'll get, I'll, I, I really try to have patience and there's something will happen and, you know, I'll lose it a little bit. And my husband, Travis, he'll look at me and he'll be like that. That's why you finally lost it. <laughs> That's so, great. So was actually marrying my husband and then subsequently having kids. Yeah. Yeah, you can't for- forget about hubby. <laughs> well, Rebecca, it's been wonderful having you on the program. Thank you for your insights, your wisdom, uh, your expertise. Uh, and congratulations on your impressive journey and keep shining bright. Oh, Jennifer, thank you so much. Have a great day and appreciate you having me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everybody.